Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you, so let's get to it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. You guys sound like you just went to Walmart or something. That bad. Yeah. How many of you are finished with your shopping? Okay, how many of you still are having to shop and wrap some stuff tonight? My people, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I fall into, no, I don't fall into that category because I married an awesome lady. Uh, <laughs> that's the only reason why I have all my shopping completed. I, uh, I'm so glad you guys decided to spend a little bit of Christmas with us. I can still remember one of my favorite Christmas memories. I couldn't have been older than 11 or 12 years old. Uh, and I had asked for something for a very long time, and I finally got it. For years, uh, ever since I attended my first NASCAR race when I was seven years old, I would ask for a go-kart. It's all I wanted. i just put on the list, go-kart. And then my mom would say, you've got to add some more stuff in here. You can't just ask for a go-kart. And I'd say, that's all I want. It's what, you don't have to give me another Christmas gift for the rest of my life if you give me a go-kart. And uh, I remember this particular birthday, or not birthday, Christmas, uh, I was kind of feeling a little left out. I'm going to be honest with you. My siblings were getting a little bit more giftage than I was. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to be a spoiled brat or anything, but this doesn't seem fair. You know, like I, I knew I wasn't the favorite to begin with. This is kind of just <laughs> kind of proof of what's going on here in the family. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget my, my dad said, you know, hey, Blake, why don't you go check the front door? I think there's something there. And I can still remember our door had a little like thing where you could see outside before you went in and uh, before you Outside the door, you can see outside a little bit. Sorry, my words do not make sense. You guys follow what I'm saying, though. And what I could see was, is I could see a green go-kart. And I just remember the, uh, the immense joy that I felt in that moment. I mean, just complete joy. And we all probably have stories like that. If I were to invite you up, you could tell me that Christmas where you got the thing you wanted. And we could all probably tell stories of the anticipation that would build as a kid. And that was one of the greatest feelings as a kid. It wasn't actually Christmas itself. It was October would roll around, and it was about time for Christmas. And we would get so excited about what was going to happen. And on Christmas morning, waking your parents up at 4 in the morning and getting yelled at and going back to bed for a little bit because you were so excited about what was going to happen. And the reason we have Christmas in the first place, the reason why the early church celebrated this reminder was because that anticipation that our children feel is the kind of anticipation we ought to feel for the second coming of Jesus. And it was the anticipation that the early church felt for the first coming of Jesus. That for years and years and years, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, a Messiah was to come. And the people waited with anticipation, like I waited for a go-kart, you waited for whatever you wanted. And when it came, there was such great joy. And that same joy is something we get to remember every Christmas season. So we watch our kids open a present or we get a present that we were surprised to get. It should fill our hearts with joy as we remember the ultimate gift of Jesus that came to be with us. Today, I have a really simple message, I believe. And the goal of it is to get you to take action. The goal of it is I'm going to give you a challenge here in a little bit. And you get to decide whether I'm a crazy guy and you take the challenge or you don't take the challenge. But my prayer is, is that you'd give me a year. You take the challenge, and after one year, if you don't like what happens, then you can just quit. And everything will go back to the way it was. But this year, I want to focus on Matthew chapter 1, and particularly verse 23, which says this. It says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So in other words, Jesus is his name, but what he'll be known for, his, his nickname, if you will, will be Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. 
I want to pray for us. And we're going to talk about this idea of God being with us and how we can actually experience it in our everyday lives. Father God, thank you for the people in this room. Lord, you knew they would be here when they were here. It's not an accident that anybody in this room is here. There are no coincidences in your plans. And Lord, I pray that today, maybe for the first time in their lives, Lord, they would enter into what true family is like. They would get to see and feel your presence. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the words to speak, Lord, as I am an inadequate messenger. And yet, Lord, I know that through the Holy Spirit, anything can happen. I pray that you would move and work today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I uh, heard a parable this last week that uh, fit perfectly with, with this message and really why it's such good news that God is with us. Uh, because as a kid, I often thought God was with us in the sense that like he was kind of watching me. He was observing me uh, from, from a little bit of a distance. And when I did good things, he cheered me on. And when I did bad things, he kind of turned his back on me and said, Blake, get your act together. And I was kind of just being observed and watched by God. It wasn't until I got a little older that I understood what it meant that God was actually with us. And this parable really showed me what was so beautiful about the incarnation that Jesus came to be a part of us. Uh, it's a story about a guy who fell into a well, and he's at the bottom of the well, and he's, he's hollering at people as they walk by on the street, somebody help me, get me out of this well. And uh, hours go by, and a whole bunch of people walk by, people kind of look at him, or they say, I'm so sorry that you're in the well, and then they would just kind of keep walking on. Until a priest walks by, and a priest walks by, and he pulls out his wallet, and he gets 20 bucks, and he drops it down into the well. And the guy's like, I don't need 20 bucks, I need out of the well. And uh, so the guy begins to lose all hope. And uh, eventually a friend walks by and he recognizes the voice. It's his best friend. And he says, man, I'm down here in the well. Help me out. And then his friend jumps into the well with him. And the guy's looking at him and he's like, you dummy. What are you? Now we're both in the well. I was wanting you to get a rope and pull me out of here or something. And his friend looked at him and his friend said, yeah, I know. But I've been here before and I know the way out. This is what makes the incarnation of Jesus so beautiful. Not that Jesus just came to die for the sins of the world. He did that, but before he did that, he died. Or before he did that, he lived a life so that he could have compassion and empathy in every way that we have, we need it in this world. He has experienced everything you can experience. There's a great book called The Symphony of Mission. I would recommend everybody read it. And in this book, the author talks about the importance of Jesus' incarnation. Really, truly, the, the beauty behind what Jesus did. And he says it way better than I could. So I'm going to read a quote from the book. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. The author says this, he says, One of the most mysterious and profoundly beautiful aspects of God's mission is his choice to accomplish his mission through the incarnation. By becoming fully human and dwelling among his creation, God didn't accomplish his mission from a distance, but came to the world in the flesh, drawing near to humanity with a beating heart and breath in his lungs. The humanity of Jesus wasn't merely a mask for his divine identity, nor was it a cosmic episode of undercover boss in which the creator of all things pretended to be human to get a closer look at his creation. No, Jesus was truly and fully human. Chapped lips, childhood friends, and the occasional need of an afternoon nap. He didn't merely come near the suffering of others. He experienced the suffering so that he could relate to the hardest parts of human life. Solidarity with us came before salvation for us. When you think about Jesus walking on earth, I wonder what you think about. My friend, uh, Briley Goodwin, reminded me after the last service of 
of, a, of an image that he showed me. And it's just this picture of baby Jesus standing on his bathtub water. And his mom's trying to get him to go in, but he's like, I'm not going in. Just this divine guy who's walking around kind of glowing and, and everybody knows he's God. But as we read the scriptures, that's not what we see. We see Jesus not just showing us what God is like, but he shows us what it means to be truly human. He walked around and suffered the same things you and I suffer with. He can relate to you. This is what makes our faith so unique and so powerful. We have the only God who can say, I have experienced what you've experienced. See, so often we want God just to drop a rope into our well and pull us out. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to work in and through you. I'm going to jump into the well, into the suffering, into the pain with my creation because I know the way out. You see how powerful this is that Jesus can look at a lady with stage four lung cancer and he can say, my peace to you while she knows that the savior of this world once had his lungs fill with blood as he died suffocating on a cross. See the peace that can come to somebody who trusts in Jesus as their savior when they're suffering from arthritis, that they can have a savior who literally came and had nails piercing through the ligaments in his hand and in his feet. Those of us who have suffered from poverty or homelessness can look at a savior who came and although he was the king of the world, he created everything. He could be the king of kings and have all the money in the world. He came as a poor carpenter born in a trough. One day he's at the right hand of the father in heaven with the angels worshiping him. And the next day he's in diapers in a trough. This is our God. He comes to be with us. His presence is real. And you say, well, Blake, that's great that he, he's with me in my suffering. But what makes Jesus even more powerful is he doesn't just say, I know what you're feeling. He shows us the way to restoration. He knows the way out of the well. If we can follow in his presence and live in his presence, we feel his presence. It gives us peace, but it also gives us courage to take the next steps we need to take in this life to get out of the well. There's true, authentic freedom to be found in Jesus because we have the same Holy Spirit power he had to live this life, those of us who trust in him. This is what makes Christmas so powerful. And here's my challenge for all of you, and here's, here's where I'm leading up to. I believe the way we actually practically experience that. So I can know it here, but how do I feel it? How do I feel God's presence in my life? I believe the way we actually experience God's presence, that God is with us, is through his people. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this. This is the same book of the Bible where Matthew tells us that he's Emmanuel. Jesus is getting close to leaving the earth, and he says this. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Where's Jesus? Where's his presence felt? Within the people of God. And I'm not talking about a Sunday gathering where you come for 60 minutes, hear a guy talk and sing some songs. That's part of what we do, but that's not who we are. I'm talking about in the kitchen with your brother or sister in Christ as you're crying because your life's falling apart and you're so ashamed of what you've done. You feel the Lord's presence. I'm talking about the brother in Christ who shows up as soon as everything goes bad and he's the first one there in the hospital waiting room. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about God's people. And yes, a part of that is a gathering, but more than that is the family of God. And so here's my challenge to you guys. I'm going to give you three challenges, but it all boils down to this. And that is to take a year and truly commit yourself in a local congregation. And it doesn't have to be a cent. I know you look at me and you're like, well, that serves you real well, Pastor. I'm not talking about a cent necessarily. I think we're great. I started the church, so I kind of have to say that. <laughs> but the power is found in actually planting yourself 
and the people of God, whatever that might look like for you, whoever that might be. The point is to be with family, to go all in, not halfway in, but all in. Because for a lot of us who say, I don't know where God's presence is, or I don't feel God's presence, we're nowhere near his body, which is what Jesus calls the church. He literally calls the church his body. The people of God are the hands and the feet. How could you feel somebody's presence if you're never in the presence of their body? Be ridiculous if I told my wife, hey, I'm only going to see you a couple times a year, and I hope we're really close. Now I have to be in the same room as she is. Otherwise, I can suffer from a little bit of a misidentification, if you will. I don't know if you guys have ever had that awkward moment where you think you see somebody you know, and then they're not somebody you know. Uh, you know, it's like those times where some, you, somebody's waving at you, and you kind of wave back at them, and you realize, oh, they're waving at the guy behind me. That's like, I have to go die in a hole now. Um, I had a little case of misidentification a while back. Uh, I was going to Enid to see my, my friend Kevin Heisey. He's a, he's a pastor. And uh, I was early, actually. He lives in Enid. And I drove to Enid. And we were meeting at Starbucks. I got there early, which is really unique for me. I'm generally <laughs> five minutes late everywhere I go. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm drinking my coffee, which is the Lord's beverage. So I'm feeling really great. Thank you. I mean, like one amen. I was, Sitting there drinking coffee, feeling really good about myself, and, uh, and Kevin walks in, and uh, usually I'm the type of guy, you know, I let people come, come to me, I just, like, I'm not really outgoing, I'm not just going to go up there and, and talk to you, I was just going to let him kind of come sit down, get his coffee or whatever, but I thought, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling really good, I'm going to go talk to this guy. And so I, I get up, I can kind of see him from the back, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years except for on Facebook, but we all know Facebook pictures don't always tell the truth, amen, <laughs> and... Uh, so I, I was going up to this guy, and uh, if you know me, you also know I'm, I'm, I'm not good with the bro hug. So there's, there's different ways to shake your hands. Some of you guys, you just want the old-fashioned handshake. Some people do like the seesaw handshake where they rip your shoulder off. Uh, <laughs> COVID season, some of you guys just want an elbow bump. And I, I, I never know. I'm really bad at reading it. And the worst one is the bro hug, which is that you come in, you grab it, you know, you do the little hug thing that cool people do. I, I'm always behind, and it's, it's awkward. Like, the guy's hugging me already, and I'm like, do I pat the back? Or, I, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. But I knew Kevin was a bro hug type of guy. Like, you just, you know. Like, you see some guys, you're like, that's a bro hug type of guy. And uh, Kevin was one of those guys. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I went up there and I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around. I grabbed it. Perfect bro hug execution. Never done this well before in my entire life with this guy. And and so I come in and and I do the bro hug and everything was going awesome until we started to go across from each other. And about this point, I looked into his eyes and I said to myself, I don't know who this man is. (laughs) His face said something very similar. So I was, I was kind of like in this, uh, this point of what do I do? Do I, do I, you know, like say, I'm so sorry. I thought you were somebody else, or I can make him feel awful and act like I knew him. And then he'd be like, I should know that guy. I don't know that guy. So being the loving guy that I am, I went with option two and I said, bro, it's so good to see you. And I just walked away from the guy, sat back down. Needless to say, when Kevin walked in, I just stared down at my coffee until he sat down at my table. Misidentification. So I hadn't seen the guy. I didn't know what he looked like. And I'm afraid that some of us, we misidentify who Jesus is. We misidentify what he's about. And we don't experience his presence because we are so disconnected from his body. We're so disconnected from the people of God that we never experience the presence of God. Because Jesus says, where two or three are gathered. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am also. Not to say you can't experience God's presence alone. 
but to say there is something powerful and special when we come into God's people and we are a part of the body of Christ. I want to give you three things that I would love for you to do this year. Again, you don't have to do it, but it's only going to make your life better, I believe. And if you don't like it, come back to me in a year and I'll give you your money back. But you guys didn't pay anything, so take that for what it's worth. How do we actually feel the presence of God? That's the question. And I'll just be honest. I want to pause here because I know some people can think in a year like this, like it's easy for you to say and just kind of move on. But this has been a really hard year for me. This has been a really hard year where I've lost my job or I've lost somebody I love or things aren't going the way that it should be going for me. And I don't feel God's presence at all. And I don't want to minimize that at all because even as a pastor, sometimes I question, I wonder why things happen the way they do. My, uh, one of my mentors uh, has, his wife has been sick for a very long time uh, with MS. And this morning I got a text message saying she went to be with Jesus. My first thought, why? Why on Christmas Eve? Why couldn't it be any other day of the week? But now him and his children are forever going to have this day marked as a day in which they lost somebody so important to them. And in that moment, my heart says, why? And yet, another part of me says, it's in those moments of darkness that I am so glad that there's a church family around that man. I, I am so grateful, and I would hope the same would be, and I know the same would be true for me. I know that if I were to go through tragedy, my church family would be there just as quick as my blood family. And there's comfort in that because I feel God's presence in the brokenheartedness of this world. God is with us. Three things, really quickly, and then we're going we're gonna to light some candles. I, I want you to, number one, submit to the structure. So again, it doesn't have to be a scent. It can be any place. But submit to the structure of the church. In other words, as a pastor, I believe my job is not to help you grow or push you to grow. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can. Only your motivation can help you grow. My job as a pastor is to be kind of like a cast on a broken arm in which the bone grows by itself. The cast is there to structure the growth. And as a pastor, my job is to try to plan out and to think through what would make you guys the best disciples of Christ. What kind of programs, what kind of systems, what do we need to help people funnel their growth so that they grow into ways of Christ? And when you go to a new church, when you're trying to find a body to be a part of, you shouldn't ask, do I like the music? Although that's okay to ask. You shouldn't ask primarily, is the pastor good? Is he funny? Those things aren't primarily important. What's primarily important is, is if I plug into this church body, where is it going to take me? For you parents, if I plug my children into this church body, what is the result? What kind of fruit is going to come from being a part of this local congregation? And here at Ascent, I work really hard to keep things very simple. We don't do very much stuff. Now, my strategy is not just throw a whole bunch of things at the wall and see what sticks. I believe very clearly that God wants four things for every single person in this room. I believe it, even if you don't believe it. He wants you to experience salvation, to find peace, no purpose, and live fulfilled. I believe that's available to everybody in this room only through Jesus Christ. And the way we structure a sin is by helping people accomplish all of those things. On the first one, experience salvation, which I would define as following Jesus in all of life. What you're in right now is designed for that. This, that's my only purpose every Sunday is to preach the good news of Jesus so that you might believe it, so that the grace would transform your life. To find peace, we, we have what we call DNA groups. These are two or three men or two or three women that get together and they get uh, personal into each other's lives and it becomes a place where they become like family and they can share what is going on in their life. They can take off the mask and they can be in relationship with one another because I believe that's where you find peace. We have what we call starting point. It happens the first Sunday of every month. And that whole thing is not designed to be a membership class where you learn about me. It's a class to help you discover your purpose so that you can begin to live that out and live fulfilled in the dream team. 
We meet every other week in the on-season, which will start in January, and we have a meal together. We have family, and then we do mission, mission in our local community. That's all we do. That's all we do at Ascent. And what I would tell you, if Ascent's the place, if it's not the place, then you learn the structure of the other place you're going. But if Ascent's the place, what I would ask you to do is just submit to the structure. Say, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to trust this pastor enough to give him a year. And if you don't like it, then walk away. That's all you have to do. But I promise you, if you give me a whole year in the structure, not a halfway, kind of doing a little piece, little piece there, but a whole year trusting in the structure of ascent, I promise you will grow towards Christ's maturity. And the same is true for any church you're a part of. Pastors I know, I would say any church, majority of churches, majority of pastors I know have the same kind of philosophy and they want to help people grow into Christ's likeness. And when the Bible says submit to the leaders, I believe this is what it's talking about. Trust your leaders in the way that they are shepherding you. That's been misused and abused in so many different ways in which people say, okay, we got to do whatever the pastor says, which if you've been in a sent for very long, you know that's not the case. Uh, You go to Lindsay Good if you want to know what's supposed to be done at a sent or Taylor Farley, uh, which is where I go and get my orders. But submitting structure, (laughs) she's not in this service, I can say what I want. Uh... Submitting to the structure is what I mean by that. So find a church, find a local community where you can plug into and submit to the structure. Number two, this one's really hard. I want you to take off the mask. I want you to take off the mask. I don't want this to be a church in which we have to come and and pretend to be more perfect than we are. When I was a kid, I can remember being in a Bible study and we did accountability questions every week. And I began to just kind of lie about reading my Bible and praying because I felt so terrible about not praying and reading the Bible. It was just easier for me to say, yes, I read than to feel the shame and the guilt that would be placed on me. And I came to later find out everybody else in the group was lying also. (laughs) And yet it is so disheartening to me that the church has become a people where we feel like we have to put on our mask. We can fight all the way to church, but we got to put on our happy faces once we get to the gathering. We, we, we can go to the small group and we can share a little bit of our struggle. I'm just kind of tempted in this area, but I'm not going to tell people the full extent of my problem. I'm not going to show them all of the dark areas of my life because what will they think of me if that happens? And I'll just tell you as a pastor of Ascent and in every group I'm in, what I can promise you is you will never have a perfect pastor here. I'll never pretend to be perfect. What you always have is an honest pastor. And what I will always ask of you is that you simply be honest with me. You take off the mask. Because something powerful happens when we remove our mask, we actually begin to find healing for the things that have haunted us. See, I I think a lot of us in the church are kind of like men with beards. Um, So women for a long time have been kind of made fun of or, or, you know, attacked for wearing makeup. And people say really mean things about women who who wear makeup to cover up things. and, uh, And really, but the men who make fun of women should be careful because what I've discovered is men use beards to kind of cover up some stuff. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I wish I could grow a beard to kind of cover my face because I've seen some guys who look one way with a beard and then they shave their beard and I'm like, whoa, what happened to you, brother? Uh, and, and so we, we got we to be careful to not put on a beard, a little fake, this is who I am when it's not actually us at all. Ascent is a beardless place, in other words, uh, because I can't grow one, so nobody else ought to be able to. <laughs> but if we really believe the gospel... If we really believe that Jesus has saved us and there's grace through him, then we can take off the mask with one another and be honest. So number one was submit to the structure. Number two, take off the mask. Here's number three, show up. Show up. And by that, I mean be the presence of God to others in your life. Be the presence. I remember one of the times, uh, 18, 19 years old, early in ministry, and I kind of started to become pretty full of myself, uh, feeling superior to some of the people I was in group with and 
Uh, it was no coincidence for sure, but I was listening to a pastor preach another message. It was as if God was speaking to me through this message because this guy was telling a story. His pastor was telling a story of a kid who came into his office and he was in a small group of, of some sort with these other guys. And this kid was really frustrated. He said, you know, they're still struggling with sins that I've long left behind. And I really feel like they're, they're pulling me back and, and I'm not growing the way I want to be growing. And this pastor just looked at him and he said, maybe the reason God has you in that group is not because they're supposed to help you go forward, but because you're supposed to pull them forward. Maybe the reason God has you in a place of people who you feel superior to is because God wants you to humble yourself and serve them. Maybe it's not all about you at this point in time. And I would say in all of life, if you will take a year and open your eyes to what God is doing around you and take a little focus off of yourself, it will change the way you look at everything. If if you have a friend who is suffering, be the first one to call. You say, I don't know what I would say. Just show up anyways. If you see a homeless person on the side of the road this year and you're late to work, I would just say maybe think twice before you pass them. In in this very room, as people in here come together and you see ways to serve people, maybe don't wait for somebody else to do it, but jump in and do it. Show up. See, there's nothing more fulfilling than when you get to be the presence of God to somebody else. I can't explain it. I really can't. You can chase after money. You can chase after goals. You can chase after significance. And you can get some of those things, and it feels good. It really does for a moment. But there is nothing like being the presence of God to somebody else. Just this week, somebody gave Taylor and I an envelope. They didn't give it to us directly. They came to our maintenance man at the apartment, and they knocked on the door, and they gave Taylor an envelope with money in it. And they, they wrote a card, and they didn't put their name on it because they were being the presence of God to us. Now, I know their handwriting, and they're in trouble for that now. But in reality, I know that they got just as fulfilled from giving the gift as I did from receiving the gift. Because there's something so special about doing something that only you and God see, and knowing you did it, and seeing the joy on somebody's face as they say, God answered our prayers! And you get to know you were the answer to that prayer. This year, plug in. I promise you, you won't regret it if you do. If you want it, if you say, Blake, Manuel, God is with us, but I don't feel his presence, I would just say, plug into his body. Submit to the structure, take off the mask, and show up. Jen and Briley, if you guys want to go ahead and come up as we close today, I want to just share really briefly uh, what I would call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and what it means to be a follower of Christ as we close. Uh, and for me as a kid growing up, there's a lot of big church words thrown around, and I didn't really fully know what they meant. Uh, for instance, people would tell me, you need to repent and believe. And I was like, I don't know what repent is, but it sounds scary, and I hope I'm doing it right. Uh, I, I can still remember, you know, I was probably eight, nine years old in a, in a church Sunday school classroom, and this guy got up there, and his, his whole pitch was uh, about repenting and believing. And he told us a story about his uncle, who evidently didn't repent correctly, because as his brother was on his deathbed, uh, he said his brother was going in and out of consciousness. And the, the line started beeping, beep, 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 beep. And he said, and my brother, with his heart stopped, stood up on the bed. And he said, it's hot, it's hot. And <laughs> the guy just ended the message there. Bunch of nine-year-olds, repent and believe. I don't know what that is, but I want to do it. Sign me up. Where do I repent and believe? So from time to time... For those of you who are like me, I like to explain what repent and believe means. And really, I can kind of sum it up like this. We're all born with a tendency... 
to put ourselves in the middle of our lives. In fact, that's how we all are born, with us as the queen or the king of our lives. We decide everything. You know this if you've ever had kids, uh, especially babies. Babies do not care about you. Like they do, They're just going to do their thing. You serve them. They don't care if it's three in the morning. They want to be awake. They're awake. That's what they do. And as adults, we get a little better, a little more nuanced with this. But we all still kind of think about ourselves. That's why two people in the same situation can both be offended. Why? Because one side was seeing their side of the story, and the other side was seeing their side of the story. We can both be offended. Why? Because I'm the king of my kingdom, and you're the king of your kingdom. Queen or queen. And so what we do is everything depends upon us. Our peace depends upon us. We decide when we deserve to be guilty and shamed and afraid. We decide what people we're going to have in our lives and when we're going to leave them out of our lives. If you're, if you're in my life and you're adding value to my life, I'm going to keep you there. If you're not in my life and you're not adding any value, then there's no reason why I would ever have you in my life. And then our plans are totally uh, dependent upon ourselves. We get to decide what we do and how we do it and when we do it. And what happens is sometimes we Christianize this and we get Jesus off to the side and Jesus is supposed to help our peace and he's supposed to help the people in our lives. Basically, we want him to change the people in our lives usually and he's supposed to make our plans succeed. And when they don't succeed, what happens is we get mad at Jesus in that way. Now, true repentance, repent simply means to turn. I was going this way with myself as the king or the queen. I repent. I turn to this, Jesus being the center of everything. Now my peace is not determined based upon what I say. It's based upon what Jesus says. And Jesus says on the cross as he bled and died for me, it is finished. Not it is finished after you pay back for your sins this many ways. But Jesus standing outside of time before he stepped into humanity saw all of Blake Farley's sins. Jesus knows my big sin 20 years from now, just as good as he knows the one 20 years ago. And he says it is finished on the cross of Calvary. There is something so beautiful about that. Think about the grace and peace we can have within ourselves and with ourselves. I get so mad at myself sometimes and I have to remind myself, it's paid for, Blake. You are made right with God based upon what he did, not based upon what I did. My people are dependent not based upon what I want, but based upon who God tells me to be with. You say, Blake, church people are all a whole bunch of hypocrites. I know. And you're one of them too, right? Like if you find a church where there's no hypocrites at all, please don't join it because you'll mess it up. But as we come together, we are family. We learn to bear with one another. We learn to listen. Just like every family has a crazy uncle, we learn to deal with the crazy uncle in the church family. You're like, my family doesn't have a crazy uncle. It's probably you. <laughs> Our plans are no longer determined based upon what we want. Our plan is to be a part of God's story. And oftentimes, God's plans for us are a lot smaller than the big plans we make for ourselves. It's plans to love our literal neighbor. Oftentimes, my plans involve me changing the world. And God says, I want you to change the world around you. And in this circle, I am on the outside submitting to King Jesus, following Jesus even when I'm not sure. I don't feel like doing it because I believe he is king. I trust. I believe in him. This is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's what I would invite you all to believe in today. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray here in just a second. I'm going to give you a little bit of space to ask God what he's saying to you through this message. And then we're going to, we're going to do a tradition that the church has been doing for hundreds of years. I'm going to start by lighting a candle here, attempting to not burn down the church. Uh, and then I'm going to take this candle. I'm going to go to the front row and I'm going to light a candle. What you're going to do is you're going to light the candle of the neighbor next to you. And what this has represented for hundreds of years is Jesus coming in as the initial light in this dark world. 
And what he does is he, he spreads his light to his disciples as the Christ would come alive in them. And then their disciples spread it all the way down to Blake Farley 2,000 years later as a light in this dark world. And my job is to make more light. And what you're going to see is at the end, this whole room is going to be lit up. And this is the image. This is the picture of what is to come when Jesus Christ returns and everything is made perfect. But in the meantime, we have the job of lighting up the world around us. That is our plan. That is what we do. So right now, what I want you to do is bow your heads, close your eyes. Father God, would you speak to these people? Lord, for some people in the room, today is the first day they they say, I want to make Jesus the king in my life. I know some things about him, but I want to just try. I want to attempt to make him the master of my life and put him in the center. For others, it was, Lord, that they want to become more committed in the body of Christ, more a part of your real authentic presence in the people of God. For some people, it's just beginning somewhere. They just want to do something to begin to connect with your body. Lord, wherever people are, I pray that you'd speak to them. Right now, eyes closed, head bowed. Just take about 10 seconds to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Eyes closed, head bowed. I wonder if you would just raise your hand if today you're like, Blake, as you speak, I feel led to be more involved in my local church or get involved in a local church. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Amen. Me too. Thank you, God, for brothers and sisters. Thank you, God, for the family of Christ that you've given us. May we invest all the more into the body because the body is where the presence of Christ is found. And and right now, friends, eyes closed, head bowed. If you would, if you say, Blake, when you were talking about the gospel and believing and repenting, this is the first time it really kind of made sense to me. I want to make Jesus the king in my life, not just the helper in my life, but truly the king in my life. I want to follow and submit to him in every way. If that's you right now, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Yes. Father God, thank you for these people who have made this decision. Lord, thank you, God, for all of us as we ever increase our Christ-centeredness allowing you to change the way we view everything, submitting to you in all of life, even when it doesn't feel good. Lord, I praise you and I thank you. It's in your name we sing. Amen. If you would, please stand. I'm going to light this candle. Jen's going to play some really soft, meditative music in the background. What I want you to do with that real soft, meditative music is think about Christ, His incarnation, and what it means for your life. And then after all the candles are lit in this room, we're going to sing to this Savior. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.